they say that it takes a village to raise a child. Well, it certainly does. So relying on support systems and wraparound services for women and families during this time is a really important part of treatment. Welcome to Season 3 of My Amazing Body, a podcast where we explore interesting, unknown and misunderstood parts of your body. This is Episode 3 of our special five-part series focused specifically on mental health and well-being. This episode of My Amazing Body contains a first-hand account of what it's like to experience perinatal anxiety and depression. It references miscarriage, loss and suicide. If you or someone you know needs support, contact Lifeline on 13 11 14, and if it's an emergency, please call 000 immediately. Across Australia, one in seven new mums and one in ten new dads experience postnatal depression each year, and postnatal anxiety is just as common. Often, parents will experience anxiety and depression at the same time. As a psychologist and the Perinatal Mental Health Coordinator at Cairns and Hinterland Hospital and Health Service, Stacey Gill is an expert in perinatal depression and anxiety. My name is Stacey Gill. I am the Perinatal Mental Health Coordinator here at the Cairns and Hinterland Hospital and Health Service. I am also a psychologist by trade and have training in perinatal and infant mental health. Have you heard of postnatal depression? What about perinatal or antenatal depression and anxiety? Stacey explains what these mental health conditions are and how they differ from each other. Interchangeably, we have antenatal, we have postnatal, postpartum, um, but generally what we refer to now as perinatal, peri meaning the time around So that encompasses both anti- and postnatal periods. Perinatal depression and anxiety generally fall under a broader umbrella term of perinatal mental health, which is generally considered the emotional well-being of women, their infants and families, including the impact of the parent-infant relationship from usually the period of conception right up until 24 months postpartum. It also will include uh, and encompass preconception, which is for women who have already serious mental health issues, or it also includes things like traumatic birth experiences and perinatal loss. Stacey says that often if someone is experiencing perinatal depression, they'll also be experiencing perinatal anxiety. But it's not always the case. Perinatal anxiety and depression are often what we would call comorbid, so they often occur together. Um, usually someone will have a what we refer to as a comorbid uh, presentation or a pre-existing underlying anxiety that can then, in the antenatal period, and then lead to a sort of depression in the postnatal period. But we also do have um, women who will have just a perinatal anxiety or just a perinatal depression. So they can coexist, but they can also occur quite separately. We don't actually have many figures related to the actual comorbidity, but what we do know is we have roughly one in seven women will experience perinatal depression, 
uh, which is very high. And then it's actually a bit higher for anxiety in the perinatal period. It's roughly jumps up to between one in five women. So it's very common. It's not just mums who experience mental health conditions during and after pregnancy. Research indicates that one in 10 fathers experience postnatal depression, while one in six fathers experience anxiety during the prenatal period and one in five during the postnatal period. Psychologist Stacey says that this is often a different experience to the birth mother. This is also an area which is um, now recognised, whereas um, fathers as well can also experience perinatal depression um, and anxiety as well, which can be um, a, a different experience from that as the woman and there's different mechanisms at play. But we also have, you know, it's not just mum and it's not just dad. Um, we also know that perinatal anxiety and depression can also affect adoptive parents. And I think specifically, and this is probably the most unique part of this, that it actually, if if untreated in a birth mum, it can actually you know, have significant impact if untreated on the baby itself and the baby's mental health. We know that if parents' sort of responsiveness and sensitivity to their newborns are real predictors for developing a secure infant attachment. And when we have untreated perinatal mental illness, whether that's from mum or dad, um, or mum and mum and dad and dad, it, it really can affect a parent's capacity to be able to respond appropriately to an infant's needs. And that can eventually go on to have, if untreated, lifelong effects. Mental health conditions during pregnancy and early parenthood can affect anyone, regardless of your background. But there are some risk factors, Stacey explains. Talking about risk factors, I think women, and and I will refer mainly to women because that's the majority of the work that we do, but if you have had a prior history of depression before you've had children or you've had a previous episode of postnatal depression, you are at an increased risk for developing it again. It doesn't mean that you certainly will, but the risk is increased. Other things are women who may be ambivalent about their pregnancy. It may have been a very unplanned pregnancy, and many times it may be an unwanted pregnancy as well. Um, We also have situations with women who may have had pre-existing mental health issues, in particular anxiety and depression, who abruptly stop and discontinue medication that they may be on, that places them at a significant increased risk for developing postnatal depression. And we also have um, different factors such as, you know, the lack of sleep and breastfeeding difficulties that a lot of women will experience, as well as, you know, limited social supports will also certainly place a woman at an increased risk of developing perinatal mental illness. Another thing that's always important to to keep in mind is complications in labour and birth, and in particular birth trauma is also a risk factor um, for developing perinatal depression and anxiety as well. We have an absolute rapid fall in progesterone and oestrogen after a woman gives birth and cortisol as well and other hormones following birth. And we also have women who will have hypersensitivity to hormonal changes that places her at a vulnerable to developing perinatal depression and or anxiety as well. Most people have heard about the baby blues, 
which usually occur in the first few days after giving birth. Stacey says symptoms of the baby blues can be similar to perinatal depression, but the baby blues are not a mental health condition. She says that perinatal depression or anxiety will often start around four weeks after birth. So baby blues is something that's very common and we have about 75% of women in the postnatal period that will experience something that's called the baby blues. Um, usually starts by about day three after birth and usually can last up until about two weeks afterwards. So usually what we'll see is women being very tearful, um, overwhelmed, irritable during that sort of from day three onwards after that initial rush of a lot of the time the the excitement and, and the joy then comes plummeting down to earth afterwards. So that's very common. So 75% of women will experience that. If we move that though to something more into the perinatal depression, we're considering something that will usually start from about four weeks up to 12 months after birth. It will usually last for at least two weeks. And the difference is we have the physiological symptoms that can be considered similar to that in depression and anxiety outside of a perinatal period. But things like being constantly tired, fatigued and having no energy whatsoever, which is synonymous with having a newborn regardless, Um, Having little to no interest in enjoyable activities, um, withdrawing from friends and family and social gatherings. Sleeping difficulties, again, is very, very common in people when they have anxiety and depression. I guess the difference being in the perinatal period, though, that a woman may be physiologically exhausted and tired but is unable to sleep when they have a period where they are afforded a time where they can sleep. They just cannot, even though they want to. Then we have um, the flip side of that, where some women will be sleeping too much and sleeping all the time. You've got things difficulty, you know, focusing, concentrating and remembering. And again, that's also synonymous with sleep deprivation when having a new baby. Um, But we also see a lot of women being very sort of easily irritated, agitated and annoyed. That's another sort of sign that we start to see. Then you have the symptoms associated with anxiety, your racing heart, your palpitations, shortness of breath, shaking. I think one of the main things is that we see from sort of new mum anxiety as opposed to more of a clinical picture is having persistent generalised worries about the health or the well-being of the baby, so being super hyper vigilant around everything the baby's doing and I think a lot of new time uh, first time mums will be you know very hyper vigilant around when they bring baby home and making sure they're you know they're breathing and watching them very closely but when that becomes all encompassing to then affecting your ability to think sleep eat and function because you're so worried about something going wrong, that then moves into a category where we're a bit more concerned. Other things that make us concerned, though, are things like fears of being alone with the baby. And that's something that a lot of women will report that they feel absolutely terrified to be alone. And this realisation that all of a sudden, you know, I'm particularly responsible for this human being. And and that's an absolute overwhelming feeling that then develops into a real fear 
And then we have the constant sadness, crying, and then in the extreme end, we have more irrational thoughts. And a lot of women, we even think it's as high as up to 65%, will have really irrational thoughts and thoughts to either hurt themselves and or their babies, um, which is a really frightening thing, I think, for people to experience. And it's even more frightening to share that. If you or someone you know is experiencing these feelings or symptoms, for more than two weeks at a time, it may be perinatal depression or anxiety. A lot of sort of perinatal mental health involves doing really careful um, assessment work of looking at a person's vulnerabilities and their, their prior history of mental health versus how they're presenting now. And we really have to weigh that up, the difference between sort of what we would expect from a new parent with fatigue, sleeplessness, difficulty focusing or what people always call baby brain or, you know, a loss of confidence or low self-esteem, particularly with first-time parents or the constant sadness and crying. I think the line is, though, when this is happening for sort of more than two weeks at a time, this is when we start to raise some concerns. And I think if anybody is concerned about how they're feeling or, or the way that their body's responding or that particularly having those irrational thoughts that are disturbing them and they're overly worried about Bob um, and, and they actually are quite sort of frightened to be with baby or they're feeling an inability to form an attachment or bond with or, or feel connected to their baby, that's a real sort of sign that we're moving into a different territory as opposed to sort of usual adjustments to parenting. Perinatal anxiety and depression can be a frightening and isolating experience. Stacey says having a regular GP is important during and after pregnancy and should be one of the first people you talk to. What we would always say to people is that it's really important to have a regular GP who knows you and knows your history and for continuity of care. But there's so many different places that women can go to get support Antenatally, you have your midwives, you have different health clinics, you have medical staff, whether that be obstetricians or GPs, and then there's also your child health nurses postnatally who do your home visiting. It might be just starting at the GP and asking, is this normal? And do I need some other help? But any other trusted health professional or even being able to talk to family and friends and saying, I'm not sure if I'm okay. But there's also some really wonderful support services out there, um, such as Panda. Panda's a really great organisation. Um, it's a National Perinatal Anxiety Depression Helpline. So it's a 1300 number that women can call if they're a bit concerned or, or they just can't get in to see their GP straight away and they're a bit concerned about how they're feeling and they just want to touch base with someone and they've got you know very experienced perinatal trained clinicians on the phone that you can talk to and see is this okay and should I be concerned or get some more assistance. We've added a link to Panda in our show notes. If you or someone you know is experiencing perinatal anxiety and depression, it's important to know that both are temporary and treatable, and that recovery can involve more than one kind of approach. Look, the great thing is that it's such a treatable um, situation for people. 
It depends sort of, I guess, for women what they're experiencing. I think those women who are having sort of a mild to moderate perinatal anxiety or depression, the first thing is psychoeducation. So getting education from reputable health professionals around what's going on and, and what you can do to sort of look after yourself. The other thing is sort of structured psychological interventions. So evidence-based psychological interventions, for example, cognitive behavioural therapy or interpersonal psychotherapies uh, are really important treatments in the sort of mild to moderate phase of perinatal um, depression and anxiety. For those women who may have a more moderate to severe presentation, that's often when we look at adding pharmacological treatments in. So, for example, psychotropic medications, but we always, always combine that with psychological therapies. So the medication doesn't work in isolation. Apart from that, other things are your well-being and self-care, looking after yourself. We also have things like eating well, exercising, socialization. Um, so connecting with other people is really important, even though it may be the last thing that people feel like doing. Stacey says self-love can also make a big difference and that new and expectant mums need to cut themselves a bit of slack and be kind to themselves. Having self-compassion is really important in this in the treatment and recovery phase as well. So unfortunately, we have situations where a lot of people have very detailed birth plans or, or expectations around how they want their birth pregnancy to go. And unfortunately, if that doesn't go to plan, that can really sort of upset the apple cart, so to speak. And just things like having self-compassion around things like um, thinking that your house will remain super clean and sparkly shiny and you'll be able to do everything that you have been able to do previously. Being kind to yourself around that is really important, an important part of developing I guess, parts to your psychological toolkit and your resilience that will help you moving forward to recover from perinatal anxiety and depression. Keeping your mind engaged with new ideas and experiences is an important part of your mental well-being. Doing regular mental challenges helps train your mental pathways. Let's give it a go. Can you solve this brain teaser? We'll reveal the answer at the end of the episode. Until I am measured, I am not known. Yet you miss me when I have flown. What am I? The next story is a first-hand account of what it's like to experience perinatal anxiety and depression. It references suicide. If you or someone you know needs support, contact Lifeline on 13 11 14. And if it's an emergency, please call triple zero immediately. My name's Jen. I am currently the team leader at Moreton Bay for Peachtree Perinatal Wellness, and I live in the Moreton Bay region. Peachtree is a peer-led organisation that provides support for new parents. It's a space that helps to build positive emotional mental well-being. Jen says it wasn't until she connected with this organisation that she realised she experienced perinatal depression and anxiety. I wasn't ever diagnosed and I didn't really know that what I was experiencing was perinatal depression until some years later when I put it all together. All I knew was that motherhood was not 
the idyllic and beautiful experience that I had expected it to be and that I just wasn't really sure whether everybody was pretending. Like I really, really loved having a child. Like there were parts that I enjoyed but it was really more just like a, an endurance race of like you can get through this. It was probably a few years later when I, probably after I'd had my last child and I was part of Peachtree, and I started to really reflect on what had happened and it was then that I kind of went, oh, you know what, this was more than it was hard to have a baby. There was so many things that had happened that kind of started piecing it all together. Um, and I guess the main thing that happened for me during that first pregnancy was that my own mother died. And so um, I was five months pregnant when she died and like that was really the start of it all but it wasn't till much much later that I sort of put it together and thought oh hang on this was this was probably more than just grieving for mum as such reflecting back across her pregnancies jen felt that she was experiencing perinatal depression over several years i guess with um the first pregnancy that like i said my mum died and um at that point when the baby was born i became attached to that baby regardless of whether that was a good thing or a bad thing that baby was with me um, and I really struggled to put her down I carried her in a little carrier all of the time I didn't really let other people hold her I really sort of micro focused in on her and she became my entire world and then with my next pregnancy um, was a couple of years had passed and I had joined a gym and I was exercising and I really understand the value that that had for me, the exercise, in that it really did help, I guess, not to clear my mind but to clear my mind as such, you know, like it was a bit of an outlet. And so with that next pregnancy, I had so much fun being pregnant with, you know, with him and then afterwards when he was born... That was when I thought that I got postnatal depression and I think I did have a touch with Dane but it was totally, totally different um, and I went to my GP and I said, I think I've got postnatal depression and she said, go back to your gym and I went back to my gym and to me that sort of seemed to solve it but in hindsight I don't think it did. I think it was just that someone had told me it would fix it so I thought I was fixed and then I had the next two pregnancies so I had a pregnancy that I lost at 19 weeks and six days and then I had another pregnancy um, my little girl that I lost at 17 weeks and so by the time I fell pregnant with my fifth baby I was so far from being okay but I think I hit it really well I think probably the people that knew me the best um, would have told you that I didn't hide it very well but but, you know, looking back, I don't think anybody really understood the level of distress that I was in. And so I really, I guess, again, micro-focused in on that baby. But by that time, by the time I was 10 weeks pregnant with him, um, I got introduced to Peachtree and that really, really helped. Like the value of peer support has been amazing in my life. Jen says that motherhood and her experience with perinatal depression and anxiety has changed the person she was and has altered her personality. And while things are certainly better, Jen still feels anxious about her children from time to time. So it's only in the last few months that I've actually asked my husband and my sister like what that was like. 
because it suddenly occurred to me that I probably contacted my sister nearly every day and then I think I just stopped and that's what she said that I sort of just didn't communicate in the same way and my husband actually said to me he said you're not even the same person that you were so I think that I thought that I was being this really normal rational human being and and I'm not saying that that I wasn't as such but I always had lived in the loud and you know been quite social and wanted to go out um you know wanted to meet new people and attach myself to new people as such and then I just didn't want to and I really craved the quiet and I really wanted to stay inside so I think that they probably just saw this real like flip of personality that I wasn't really aware that had happened until you know like I said recently when I when I said to them so what happened you know for you guys and um I remember this point where I, I had had Tate and I always really wanted four children and I said to my husband well we've got this one now we can go back again and have another one and he just said to me are you kidding he said this family has been through enough I didn't really see that you know it's only a couple of days ago that I was just saying to my kids you never go outside and they said yeah that's because you never let us go outside because and I was I was too afraid something would happen to them so I think even 10 years on I've got this real like anxiety about where my children are what they're doing you know even if that is in the front yard because I I'm so afraid to lose something else or someone else Caring for someone with perinatal anxiety or depression can be distressing and overwhelming. Jen says she still feels that impacts her relationships and lifestyle. What I find now is that um, I'm fairly easygoing and particularly, say, like relationships with school teachers or people looking after my children. I'm, I'm generally fairly easygoing, but when it comes to that point where something has happened, I actually really struggle to do that rationally because I have so much fear still of that something happening to one of the children that I have left. I guess, yeah, just that that I do still have that real anxiety and that I really struggle to let them go out to explore. Um, I try, but it is absolutely that kind of hangover of like, I need to have you near me all of the time to watch what's going on for you, um, to make sure you're okay. And I think that's quite overwhelming for my kids. I think it's overwhelming for my husband. You know, yeah, I think that my husband, like I said, he doesn't feel like he's married to the same person. And I think he likes me now. But I think for him, I I do tend to dwell in that more serious space all of the time in a different way to what I used to. And I think he kind of misses that, um, I guess, in some ways, that naivety that I had you know um but yeah that's what I think that he kind of has this wife that's a bit more serious now and and he misses that other part of me. The stigma and perception of what other people think can be one of the hardest parts about having a mental health condition. Jen thinks it's especially hard for people to admit that they're not okay. I think you feel embarrassed as well you know I think you kind of go well why can't I do it or what what's wrong with me why did I fail in this way you know I think it's still seen as a failure even though you know that it could happen to anybody but I do think you kind of go well what was wrong with me that it happened to me you just want to be normal and you want to be able to cope and 
it's really hard to admit to people and I think that's why we still kind of cover it up so much and we wear that mask. I think that without that, without the stigma, the ability to go and get help is more free and you don't feel so ashamed about going to get because I think that's probably what it is. It's a shame thing, you know, like I'm not okay but who do I tell because I don't want them to take my baby. I don't want them to think I'm not a good mum. You know, I'm worried about those kinds of things. So I think that it would mean not only being able to go and get help, but being offered help rather than, you know, it being something that you have to go and find as such, that maybe that's something that's offered to new mums. You know, like maybe that everybody comes to, everybody's offered a meeting at Peachtree or, or, you know, wherever just to come and say, you know, come and have a talk about this is a really big time in your life. Like it's it's all new Alongside taking care of her mental health condition, Jen has found looking after her mental well-being helped her overall health. By creating time to do yoga regularly, Jen found that connecting with her mind and being physically active helped centre her thoughts. A few years ago, I heard this girl speak. Um, She was telling her trauma story and she said that she had realised that she had no mind-body connection, that she kind of lived up in her head but she wasn't actually connected into her body. And that, um, for me, was this great big realisation of that's what I did as well. I lived in my body, but I wasn't actually connected into it. And so it was quite easy to kind of just um, ignore everything that was going on because I lived in this fantasy world in my head. So I actually started to do yoga and that helped me have a mind-body connection. And then, like I was saying before with the exercise, um, so lifting weights, like I I personally find that going to the gym, doing the yoga, like physically moving my body really helps clear all that stuff out of my mind. And the other thing that I learnt um, through all this is, is that actually just talking to somebody whenever you need to talk is a really good thing to do because I think sometimes what I used to do was go, oh, I'm... I'm really not okay and I really need to talk to somebody, but I'm I'm so embarrassed, I'm so ashamed of the fact that I'm not okay, what I'll do is nothing instead. Or what I'll do is I'll eat this family bag of Maltesers and that will make me feel better. And in reality, that never made me feel better. It only made me put on weight, which made me feel worse. At the point that I have the miscarriage, like we don't think in those terms, you know, we think in the terms of when the baby's born, but we don't think about anything prior to that. So I think just being able to understand that those reactions in that situation were totally normal and that 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 was okay to react in that way. There was one time after the second miscarriage that I went to the hospital and I saw a social worker and she told me that I was fine. And that was probably actually the lowest point of my life and I I was probably like that particular day was probably that was the day that I was kind of really contemplating suicide um you know would I stay with the two children that I had or would I go to the two that I'd lost and really kind of flipping that up in my hands you know to as to what would be best there but that social worker had told me that I was fine so I think what that looks like is looking beyond what someone is telling you and allowing that space or or giving that space to actually take that mask off and actually 
be truthful about what's happening for you. Treating mental health conditions can be complex. And if you feel the advice or treatment you've been offered isn't what you need, talk to another healthcare professional for additional information and support. Jen encourages any new parent who doesn't feel quite like themselves to reach out for support. When you don't feel quite like yourself, when you maybe don't have interest in what you used to do anymore, you know, when you don't necessarily feel bonded to your child, when things just, even though everything might seem like it should be great, when things don't feel like they are great, I think that's the time to go and seek some help. Jen leads a team of peer support workers in her role at Peachtree and is passionate about peer-led conversations as a key form of support for all new parents. Peachtree is um, totally 100% peer-led. So all of the staff at Peachtree have had their own um, perinatal mental health issues. We all have lived experience. Um, and what we do basically is hold space for other parents to come and talk about what's going on for them. So we have three sites. We have one in South Brisbane, one in North Brisbane and one in the Moreton Bay region. And we run peer support groups. We call those just peachy. And that's basically like having a cuppa with some other mums and you can actually talk about what's really going on. Beyond Blue research shows 45% of fathers are not aware that men can also experience postnatal depression. But with one in 10 dads experiencing postnatal depression, it's an issue more men need to know about. Jen says that dads are largely forgotten. So Peachtree recently started a peer-led dads group, which is a weekly barbecue where dads can talk about parenting challenges and mental health and well-being. Dads are largely forgotten. I know that when I had my babies, they were always baby of Jen, not baby of Jen and Pete. And I think that, you know, that kind of does a bit of a disservice to dads and to mums because mums feel guilty all of the time about being, you know, not being with the baby or being with the baby. And, you know, I think that if we can really start to involve dad as not just, you know, not just a secondary figure over in the corner, but actually, you know, involved in the parenting. Psychologist Stacey says the best way to support someone who's experiencing perinatal depression or anxiety is to simply listen to them. And make sure you also take care of yourself, because being a support person can be challenging too. I think, like with anything with mental well-being or mental health, being able to listen is really important. Just being able to say, are you okay? And being offering practical support. A lot of the time, people don't necessarily want you to fix their problem because you can't fix their problem. But it's being there and being compassionate. It's being open. And again, telling them that, you know, I will be here for you and I will help you throughout this journey. Um, so, so being non-judgmental, despite what, you know, you may be seeing or hearing from your loved one who may be going through this and seeking your own assistance as well because it can be a really difficult journey. So we would suggest talking to your GP or your trusted health professional. Panda also have a really great website and there's a section that you can go to that'll talk to you about how to support a friend or partner who's actually suffering with perinatal mental health difficulties. Um, that we get a lot of really great feedback from, from a lot of our patients. There's other things, there's also support for dads. So if some of the mums are a bit concerned about how dad's going, uh, funnily enough, they have a page called How Is Dad Going? 
Helping someone when they're at their most vulnerable, says Stacey, is one of the best aspects of her job. I think the best part of my job is in particular, I think most of us who get into sort of psychiatry or psychology um, do it because we want to make a difference. And I think perinatal mental health in particular is an area where you can really see difference and you can see change and you feel like you're making a difference to the earliest form of intervention. We talk about early intervention a lot, but I think this is the earliest form of intervention where we can try and help people in pregnancy and in early parenthood and their infants develop to be, you know, psychologically healthy and resilient humans. If you think you may be suffering from perinatal depression and anxiety, book into your GP and talk to them. Panda is a free helpline for women, men and their families affected by perinatal mental illness. If you suspect a loved one is experiencing perinatal mental health issues, the best thing you can do is sit down and talk to them. We've provided more information in our show notes. The most important thing to remember is that perinatal depression and anxiety is treatable with the right plan and support. If you're experiencing suicidal thoughts and need to talk to someone, Lifeline can be contacted on 13 11 14. Looking after your mental well-being during pregnancy and beyond is important and can ensure you're better connected to your mind and your body. These stronger connections will ensure you're more aware of any changes you might experience with your mental health. Stacey says that connecting with supportive people and looking after your physical health are some of the best ways to build your mental resilience. It's really connecting with supportive people. I think that that's making time to connect with people who are supportive of you and your choices and avoiding sort of negativity is really helpful. I think things like maintaining a nutritious diet is really important, you know, healthy mind, healthy body, as we say. Exercise as well is really important for women. Um, Some women have difficulty exercising in pregnancy, but by speaking with your health professional, there's a range of different things that women can do to maintain some level of fitness. And socialisation, yeah, connecting with others who really build you up and not bring you down is really important. Mental well-being comes hand in hand with physical well-being and so by looking after ourselves, like the um, sort of saying goes, we need to put our oxygen mask on first before helping other people Um, and ensuring that particularly with um, new parents that we now have somebody else that we have to look after as well and it's not just looking after ourselves, it's looking after this new little human in our lives. And... um, I think being able to look after yourself gives you the capacity to be able to provide really um, attuned caregiving to your baby as well. Um, And and it's also develops, you know, resilience um, in you and and it demonstrates to, you know, your child that um, self-care is really important aspect of um, developing a resilient personality as a human. So... There's a range of reasons why we would certainly encourage that for people, um, regardless of pregnancy or birth or not. It's, it's a really important aspect to sort of overall well-being and functioning. If you'd like to know more about your mental well-being and how it's different to your mental health, listen to episode one of season three. Improving your mental well-being doesn't have to be hard, 
and can be achieved through simple activities like eating a yummy, healthy meal or taking some me time, like you've just done by listening to our podcast. We have heaps of great resources and tips to help you improve your mental well-being on our website, qld.gov.au forward slash mental well-being. You'll find a link in our show notes. Thanks for joining us for this episode of My Amazing Body, Mental Health and Wellbeing. If you enjoyed it, don't forget to leave us a rating or review in your podcast app. Did you guess this episode's brain teaser? The answer is time. Well done if you got that tricky riddle. Thank you to psychologist Stacey Gill and the team at the Cairns and Hinterland Hospital and Health Service for lending their time and expertise to this episode. And thanks to Jen from Peachtree for sharing her lived experience with perinatal depression and anxiety. My Amazing Body is brought to you by Queensland Health. Thanks to my podcast colleagues, producer Jess, Carol, our audio technician, and Helen on music and sound effects.